0: exposing what these parks have to offer not in a guidebook sort of way but tapping into what these places are all about and what the people who work at them are all about as well
1: this is defender radio Michael Howey, and this is Defender Radio, the podcast for wildlife advocates and animal lovers, brought to you by the Fur Bears. There are 417 national parks and historic sites in the United States National Park System, visited by more than 275 million people every year. Among those numbers is a power couple doing something pretty awesome. Sarah and Lucas Viakanik want to visit each and every park and site in the National Park System, and along the way, They want to share the stories of these remarkable places. But they don't want to write another travel guide. They want the real stories, told by the people who spend their days, and sometimes a good portion of their lives, at those locations. That's why they started their new show, Podcasts with Park Rangers. Sarah and Lucas interview Park Rangers and share their wonderful, passionate stories about these incredible places, including a love of the flora and fauna of caves, the historical significance of many locations, and more. The Via Canics joined Defender Radio to share their story about the stories and what listeners to this new podcast can expect to learn about national parks, RVing from park to park with their cats, and what makes these locations so special. A five-minute news brief version of this interview is also available at thefurbears.com, the iTunes Store, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. I think the fun place to start, and I, I was reading about this on your blog, is the story of how the two of you got together. We're gonna go back in time a bit. Uh, well, sure, okay. because it's not it. It is a wonderfully romantic tale, in a wonderfully unromantic way.
0: <laughs> it's a good way to put it. Yes. So the two of us met in Denver, in Colorado. So we're now back in our home state, although neither of us were grew up here we did meet in denver and we met through the video game rock band Mm -hmm. uh both of us being geeks yeah um a friend of mine was doing rock band at bars and restaurants and and big events uh one of these being an anime convention which uh my now wife attended And didn't do a whole lot of anime stuff because she was hanging out in the rock band room. And I should probably let you tell a little bit of this, this story from your perspective.
2: I'm not really into that anymore, but at the time I was. And, uh, I, I just moved to Colorado and I was looking to make friends and, uh, found these guys and, uh, thought they were pretty interesting. And, uh, I talked to the owner and he, um he inv- he invited me to their like regular rock band night at a bar.
0: Yeah, we had a weekly gig. Of sorts. So basically like a mm-hmm. faking, karaoke, faking but... being rock band. Yeah.
1: Rock basically
2: stars. karaoke with plastic guitars.
1: <laughs> awesome. And drums, come on. Yeah. Yes. There's, and, there's and drums. the drums. Yeah. You get a full band.
2: I play drums. Awesome. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and then romance just sort of grew. Yeah. Yeah, so we didn't really
0: talk at the anime convention but but subsequent to that uh we we chatted at this this weekly gig i invited her out to uh trivia night i think we were doing actually more geeky stuff Mm -hmm. geeks who drink um which is kind of a a nationwide gig where a bunch of geeks get together and form teams and do trivia uh well drinking beer and having food <laughs> mm-hmm. so yeah uh, that was an early date and then from there another early date of ours I, you could say was a 10-day excursion uh, that Sarah planned being an epic planner to a number of national parks just north of where we were Um, and 10 days was probably a little too short, would you say? It's
2: like we went to the Badlands National Park, Mount Rushmore, Devil's Tower, and we tried to do Yellowstone in like five days, which is probably like trying to do Banff in five days. Mm. Not really easy.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yellowstone is one of those national parks. It was the first national park. And for good reason, people spend lifetimes there just photographing through different seasons uh all the the wildlife all the thermal activity it's just there's so much to see there uh you could spend a lifetime and we tried to do it in what about five days
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> well i'm impressed that you spent 10 days together relatively early on because um i the thought of doing that with my wife frankly uh gives me heart palpitations
2: um, <laughs> well it, it wasn't uh, smooth sailing
1: <laughs> yeah we there, were we were tent camping
0: um in our our old cavalier uh her cavalier at, at the time um and yeah there were there were a few arguments over tent set up and, and <laughs> yeah it was it was not smooth sailing 100 percent.
2: i think one night i put the tent up by myself and then he came back and was like How'd you get that up by yourself?
0: <laughs> yeah, that's really a two-man job, but um, somehow anger at me fueled. Um...
1: <laughs> it's amazing how that happens sometimes, isn't it? The power yeah. of anger at a significant other just gets stuff done. Um, <laughs> it does. <laughs> so we skip. We skip ahead, and the two of you—you you obviously you love camping and hiking. Uh, you've been doing a blog about this. How did you go from? Mm just loving the 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 process loving being together and exploring the national parks uh and monuments and all the other sites to saying hey we should get an rv we should do a show we should do this we should do that how did you take that big step forward
0: mm, that was several <laughs> steps forward <laughs> and it was um it was a progression that that eventually has led us to where we are doing this podcast although it really just started as an idea that formed in our heads that we would go to all of these national park sites Mm -hmm. yeah Um, so sarah you you got the uh the stamp book
2: there's like a national parks passport book you can go to each park and get like a stamp. it's kind of geeky and nerdy there's like a whole enthusiast community behind it though and um
0: yeah you can post the stamps up online and you know fine. kind of show off your show off your pokemon you, you've got to <laughs> yeah.
1: catch them all well right. it's similar to like geocaching i'm into that so yeah, yeah, yeah. there you go yeah. yeah
2: so we started doing that and i mean there's 417 national park and historic sites and uh after about a year or two of trying we're like this is taking too long <laughs> <laughs> we're never gonna get done before retirement <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, we we had made a pretty good go of it being that we were rooted in Denver. Uh, we covered all of the national park sites within the state of Colorado uh, and several others when we would travel because we have family throughout the U.S. now, uh, both pretty large extended family as well. So we were doing a good bit of traveling. We were getting stamps as we went, but uh, we really weren't going to knock out all four hundred and seventeen if we didn't uproot ourselves
2: yeah and I don't know where the i I thought about RVing for a while. I think there's a couple bloggers that I really liked reading um Gone with the winds is one of them and then there's like a couple named Heath and Alyssa and uh they kind of inspired me to bring up hey maybe we should live in an RV. <laughs> <laughs> and travel the U S because that's kind of crazy. And I've always, I don't know. There's a part of me that's really had a hard time staying in one place for a very long time. And I think part of us, because my dad was in the military. So we moved around a lot.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So I was like, well, this kind of satisfies that wanderlust, I guess <laughs> you can call it.
0: Mm-hmm so she proposed this to me at some point and um i don't know we had always been into traveling i suppose and i'm i'm a fairly go with the flow type um and and also moved around a good bit when i was younger so i said yeah let's let's go for it the opportunity arose because denver's real estate market is super hot right now we we had a house that we bought at the bottom of the market. The market was going like to the top, basically, uh, mm-hmm. just skyrocketing.
2: Yeah, so, and there was one other thing that happened, which is my job, the uh, The company I was at got bought and I was given the opportunity to be either, they're like, you can either continue your job here or you could work for us for a year, transition stuff. And we'll give you a severance package. And I'm like, "Uh, I think I'll take the second one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So it kind of just like all fell into place at the same time. And we're like, okay, we can do this. We're going to have a bit of a cash flow. So let's try. And then. So, so I guess the podcast part of it though. Well,
0: yeah, that. That, again, it, it's several steps to that got us here. We, we wanted to launch. We wanted to explore all the sites. We wanted to figure out being entrepreneurs and working on the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the idea for a podcast kind of came up just from a few of the visits that we had to different national parks within Colorado while we were still rooted even Um, so this was a good year or so ago from when we're talking to you now. Uh, and we were, we were seeing the passion that a lot of these park rangers had the, uh, the engagement that they had with the, with the park units that they were working at. And we were like, wouldn't it be really cool? Well, I brought it up. I think one time, um, that I had this idea for doing a podcast with park rangers uh to kind of get those stories out to build some awareness certainly but also just to kind of share what we had found which is which is a great love for the parks for their history for uh for the the landscapes um and for the science that's being preserved in these these special public lands uh so yeah i, I brought that up a good year or so ago and uh now we have finally kind of been the fire has been lit, mm-hmm. so to speak.
1: Mm-hmm. So. And you've got two episodes out already. Um, and they're both fascinating. And it's, I, I I, was just listening to them and you hear some of the comments. Um, and uh, the one ranger talks about uh, microbes. And he says, mm-hmm. um, like the way he's describing it is that like, it's like an action movie about defenses and evolution <laughs> and this and that. And, uh, you know, as someone who's I'm a journalist by trade, I'm not a scientist, but I I really appreciate and enjoy learning about natural sciences and hearing the way he tells it draws you in to something that otherwise is insanely dull. Uh, Oh, yeah. Like, (laughs) yeah. It has the
0: potential to be very, very dry, sciencey topic.
2: And he was extremely enthusiastic about what he does. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, But I think, I mean, we've done seven interviews now. Yeah. yeah. And I wouldn't say every single one, but nearly all of them, they're extremely enthusiastic about what they do.
1: And that's got to be a remarkable thing to be able to capture, Uh, to, to talk with people who, who genuinely love what they're doing with their lives. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, with everything that's gone on in the last year year and a half regarding the national parks uh there was a yeah. sort of a a resist movement uh which I, th- I think is quieted down but uh is still kicking around i'm sure uh
0: somewhat well, yeah we were actually just in in utah which yeah that's kind of the the seat for a lot of that mm-hmm. movement well,
1: we, as you mentioned
2: yeah well it, when you say resist you mean like anti-national parks or you mean
1: well the the folks who were pro national parks but there was yeah. the threat of cuts and shutdowns yeah. and so on. Uh, You're thinking uh, of it
2: from the Iran yes. side.
1: Dude. Okay. Okay. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, no, that I think that's still going on. I still see it a lot on the social media mm-hmm. and I mean the parks are still seeing record attendance. What? People are still getting out. So it's it's I don't I don't think it's gonna die down.
1: <laughs>
0: well right. that's a good thing. Yeah. With- with this yeah. yes the the record attendance is certainly a good thing uh driving awareness to the fact that they're they're also dealing with uh backlogs and in maintenance and staffing uh and being able to kind of rise to the challenges that these record attendance numbers uh you know <laughs> put in front of them which um yeah it's it's no small feat for for these rangers but as you say they they're in it because they they love the the idea of the the park service, uh, as well as they they just really love the the parks that they work at. Um, a lot of a lot of these rangers we hear in talking to them, "What do you do in your spare time?" Well, I, I took a vacation last weekend and I went to this other national park. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> this is what they do, <laughs> and it's pretty almost all of them say that pretty much. Yeah.
1: That's incredible. Well, um, I want to circle back to some of those numbers we were talking about. But
2: yeah, in, in your true.
1: interview so far, what are some of the things other than the the enjoyments that are really striking you? Are there similarities sort of across the different types of jobs that the rangers are doing across the different parks and geographies, uh, or is it more that you notice differences?
2: Um. Let's see. So there's two types of rangers. Well, maybe three we've interviewed so far.
0: But there are many other types as well, which we hope to get to.
2: But um, the main one we've interviewed is the interpretive ranger, which is uh, basically if you go to a national park, they're probably the people you talk to. They're they're the ones staffing the the desks. The public
0: face. Yeah, They're the
2: ones taking you on ranger tours and giving talks. So they're like kind of the people. persons (laughs) of the parks and um by far a lot of them want to be educators they just didn't want to be educators in a traditional sense
0: yeah they didn't want to be in a classroom setting which which you'll hear from the very first interview but we've we've heard this message repeated with a lot of in particular interpretive rangers who have a love for the outdoors uh who uh Want to educate, who are are very well spoken in that manner, who want to really connect with with kids as well as as uh, adults who are curious, uh, but then they they want to do that in a setting like what the National Park Service offers, which is going out and and pointing to these amazing features and uh, and the wildlife and you know ev- everything else that you find, which is a wide variety from park to park it, it that that part does vary quite a bit
2: yeah and also i think a lot of them grew up going to parks so like that appreciation i think was already there mm-hmm.
1: so yeah yeah it's interesting that they want to be out there teaching uh which i i think makes a lot of sense and I don't think anyone would would debate the value of being outdoors and learning about what you're seeing around you and interacting with it or being a part of it uh, is definitely different than what you can learn in a classroom Uh, and that's not to discount either one of those things but it is a very Mm -hmm. unique situation and what is exciting for me about your show is that you are going to talk with these people in places that I haven't been in hopefully I'll be able to get to someday, but you know, it's, it's not practical for me to get to a national park in Colorado or, uh, Mm -hmm. to spend a week in uh, an RV exploring an area. So it's, it's exciting that you're going to sort of be able to share that enthusiasm and those lessons in a very, very Mm -hmm. accessible way. Is that one of your goals with the show?
2: Yeah, I think so.
0: Yes, absolutely. And, uh, Very well stated on your part, so So thank you. Um, Yeah, I mean, a a bit of it is perhaps allowing people to live vicariously through what we're doing, but uh, educating, absolutely, and um, spreading the the message and, and just kind of exposing what these parks have to offer, not in a guidebook sort of way because there are plenty of guidebooks out there if you really are interested in one of these sites you can find the info you need but kind of tapping into uh what these places are all about and what the people who work at them are all about as well
2: yeah and a topic we tend to hit on is like conservation and and preservation of these places and why is that important i mean we ask pretty much every episode why have the national parks and, and why preserve that system and we've got the responses are varied i'd say on that
0: they are they're they're varied because each person and each each ranger each visitor each person who who visits these public lands connects with them in a very unique sort of way yeah uh, in a very personal sort of way
1: i like that that's i was just thinking i mean it sounds like the kind of question you would ask and they would recite the answer to uh oh well in 1916 (laughs) president roosevelt decided dot 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 uh you know that's what you would expect the answer to be i i would think or at least that's what i would expect it to be uh particularly from someone who's outward facing uh Mm -hmm. so it it is very neat that they all have that personal, this is why it matters. Uh, Mm -hmm. And certainly offers a a, a personality to the park in a way.
2: Yeah, I think so. Like, I think, was it, I think it was the first episode with Katie where she said, how did she say it? You know, we're all going to interpret the parks differently and connect with them in our own way.
0: Yeah yeah she said by by setting these places aside and allowing each person to to visit uh they they kind of build their own connections based on their their interests and based on what they find when they do visit um, so yeah we we do try to get beyond uh what we've we've occasionally joked with one another uh and called ranger mode <laughs> which Ooh. is just um which is just that, that sort of rehearsed, uh, I am speaking to a crowd. Uh, however, we've heard from another ranger who's worked interpretation for a rather long career at this point and actually uh, headed up a different division, uh, the PR division at, at Grand Canyon and returned back to interpretation. We talked a lot to her uh, with her about the job of interpretation and she said, it's really about gauging your audience and not going into that rehearsed mode, um, about really kind of allowing each person to, or or, or figuring out what, who your audience is. Um, so I, I think in that sense, if interpretive rangers are the ones that are kind of our go-to, that's a good thing, yeah. <laughs> because we are able to, to um, kind of access that uh but we we do try to kind of get beyond uh those those barriers perhaps that that stiffness that rehearsed we save that sort of question for the very last mm-hmm. uh usually because at that point they're i don't want to say more vulnerable
1: but they're, they're a little more more open yeah, yeah
2: to, they're more relaxed
1: so. right that's definitely the art of the interview. To put in context, the job of these rangers, this this statistic, and this was the population info that I wanted to come back to. They have two hundred over two hundred seventy five million visitors per year at the parks and sites. That's the almost the entire population of the United States, or the entire population of Canada several times over, cycling through these sites. Mm-hmm. How can you possibly go to a site like this and not just be surrounded by people?
2: It depends on the site you go to. Yeah. I mean, if you go to Yellowstone in the middle of summer, you are going, it's going to be super, super duper crowded. Um, We personally, with the big parks that we know are going to be crowded, like to go in the spring or fall.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Kind of on that shoulder season
2: and then um the other way is by finding out about the other parks in the system that aren't major national parks
0: yeah those those hidden gems and there are a lot of them because as as we've mentioned several times 417 units in the park system there are a lot of just little ones like for example we found while we were in denver a really cool little place that's a a day trip away it's just a, a few hours drive. And while we love Rocky Mountain National Park, which is huge, which is, has a lot of visitorship and for good reason, it's it's spectacular. Florissant Fossil Beds was very cool as well. It and has a lot of variety and interesting history, geology, um, hiking, good hiking as well. So yeah. yeah, it's it's a great destination. And I think a lot of people have those sort of places that maybe they weren't aware of uh, so if you're going to drive four miles to Yellowstone in the dead of summer, maybe maybe rethink that because you're going to be surrounded by people. Um, so think about maybe some of these these smaller sites that might be near.
2: yeah and, and if you're not interested in historic sites there's a ton of national monuments which are still very outdoors oriented. There's even national parks that don't get a ton of visitors, like uh, I mean, sticking with the Colorado examples. There's like Black Canyon of the Gunnison. It's one of the least visited national parks, but it's it, I think it's a giant canyon that's deeper than the Grand Canyon, and, and it's amazing.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So it, it's just like so. I guess that's part of our purpose on the podcast as well is to bring light to maybe some of these places that could be right in your backyard and try to get people to go to some of those as well.
1: I think if they had named it grander Canyon, it would probably be (laughs) more popular. Uh, Yeah. It's, it's interesting that there are so many and that they vary in such a way. Uh, Just in that sort of, some of them are popular. And again, you know, you say Yellowstone national park, Everybody mm-hmm. knows what you're talking about in North America. And I would presume in large parts of Europe too. I mean, it's, it's, iconic. I, would say,
2: I would say that it might be international because I mean, yeah, I know there's, when, when there's a, a ton of Asian people who go, who fly in just to go to Yellowstone. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, it's, it's, it's an international draw. I mean, I know when we were there, we met, well, we didn't always, speak with everybody but there are definitely people from china there are definitely people from australia europe i don't know about south america but
1: (laughs) it's a a diverse audience
0: yeah it is certainly and it's getting more diverse
1: and that's both a good thing and a concerning thing so long i think as uh the the rangers themselves are able to uh you know be funded properly so they can make sure certain issues don't come up and I think that's where we can talk about something next is mm-hmm. what people need to know when they are visiting, whether it is the Grand Canyon or Yellowstone or a small monument site um What are some of the things people need to be very, very aware of as they explore these?
2: Hmm.
1: what are a few of the things? well,
0: again, just like the the units themselves uh and the wide variety you can find the things you need to be aware of do certainly vary a lot. Uh, For example, I grew up in, in Louisiana, which is South Gulf coast, humid, hot, there's life springing up everywhere. Mm -hmm. It's always green. It's, you know, you're surrounded by bugs and life and it's nothing is, is, everything springs back very quickly. Having just explored, parts of new mexico and utah the the desert the high desert plains there's life out there there's a lot of it but it's also very fragile so being aware of your footsteps for example it uh, it may just look like there's dirt you're working you're walking on but it's uh it's this really interesting stuff called cryptobiotic soil which kind of allows life to flourish out there yeah. And it's very sensitive to to being stepped on. So it changed the way that we hiked. It changed our awareness. Uh, that's just one small example, though. Um, there, there are numerous things to be aware of and there are educational efforts by the parks. But a lot of it comes to self-educating and being willing to kind of explore what those differences are.
2: Yeah, and I think, part of it is like people go to parks and sometimes they don't stop by the visitor center or they don't read the material that's handed to them when they go into the park. And a lot of times that material or just going in and talking with rangers, they will learn about how to be, or as one ranger put it, how to be appropriate in in that particular park. Mm -hmm. So I think part of it does rely on self-education mm-hmm. and i mean with funding not being the greatest right now for the national parks it's it, there can't always be a ranger monitoring everybody so it's like we're gonna have we're gonna have to like rely on people to self-educate or maybe to i mean i guess part of our purpose is to try to educate people as well i mean that that soil he was talking about, the cryptobiotic soil. I mean, that stuff takes 30 to 60 years to regenerate. Wow. And uh and, and it's it's right along all the hiking paths. But um where was I going with
0: that? <laughs> what, self self-educating? Yeah. But I I I think one of the rangers we talked to oh. put it very well, which was that we are all these are these are our national parks. Uh, as visitors, um, not only as U.S. citizens, certainly there's there's that, but each visitor uh, can be a steward to the park themselves. Uh, it's not just about the rangers being out there and policing mm-hmm. people, mm-hmm. <laughs> because yeah, each person there um, who visits can self educate. And can also kind of have this awareness that we are in special places.
2: Yeah, and and, and I think the other thing was uh, if you see something that probably shouldn't be going on, I mean, say something or call, you know, the visitor center, so that they can do something about it.
1: Yeah, that's been yeah. a big issue uh, outside of Banff National Park here in Canada. Yeah, uh, Canada. is the the feeding of wildlife on the side of the road um and that is Mm -hmm. between some of the parks so there's highways that stretch and people pull over and they it's it it would it i see it and it terrifies me people getting within 15 feet of large uh uh bears be it black or grizzly trying to get pictures while they feed and Mm -hmm. you don't have room Mm -hmm. to go anywhere uh he doesn't have room to go anywhere and you're next to a highway so you start just doing this and then you've got the animals literally coming up to people's windows uh in their cars because of that it's it is absolutely insane to see and that's they they're, I know they're experimenting with different ways to report this because you get these uh they're actually called bear jams I don't know if you've heard of that mm. uh people pull yeah. over and stop to take uh, pictures oh, of the yeah. animals
0: well. sure sure yeah that that does happen in some parks um it going back to yellowstone the the bison there Mm -hmm. uh yeah the buffalo or bison um american bison north american bison 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 (laughs) (laughs) it's both the the genus and species i believe um so the the bison really rule that park and you get traffic jams because of them and uh the you don't want wildlife like that, which is enormous uh, and could get protective, could get aggressive because of their food needs. You don't want them associating humans with food. Uh, So you mentioned feeding. Um, You also don't want to be taking selfies with the bison. (laughs) Or if you see a mountain lion while you're hiking, that's probably because they want you to see them. And at that point, it's not a photo opportunity.
2: <laughs> it's a you should be worried opportunity. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I I wrote about bear selfies. It was a hashtag that was popping up on Instagram a couple of years ago. Oh really? And I I wrote a, a blog about it and we sent it out to our supporters. And I just I I I, I wrote it and I kind of thought: should we really be telling these people not to do it? Like, is this not nature's way of letting us know something about certain people? <laughs> uh apparently though that's insensitive uh no and the the bigger problem of course is that the the act ultimately falls on the shoulders of the animal uh of Mm -hmm. the wildlife they're the ones who have to pay and that's always the unfortunate end of this and i think that's maybe what people forget is yes it's your moment but when we're talking about 275 million people per year doing these kinds of things uh it creates situations for the animals to to find themselves in um, and as I said, typically what ends up happening is the animal has to pay for that. Uh, so yeah, uh, it's, I, it's a constant lesson.
2: Yeah, I know in the U.S. that that might lead to uh, an animal being euthanized in the parks because it can't survive on its own anymore if you're feeding it.
1: Yeah, and when you yeah. and like you said, like with a bison with large animals, um, if they associate people and cars with foods they become a hazard to themselves and others as well. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And that's, you know, ideally there are other solutions um, to sort of manage that when it happens, but it is entirely up to us. Um, I I did want to ask. So uh, there are two wonderful people named John and Gemma who have the something like marriage podcast and they RV Hmm. as well. And they've done a couple episodes about RVing with their kids. Uh, (laughs) I think they've got four kids. and that, again, gives me heart palpitations. But you RV with your cats, <laughs> and I have I have multiple dogs, and I'm trying to convince my wife that we don't need a pension. We do need an RV. Um, oh. <laughs> I'm losing that oh. battle. I'll tell you right now. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, she well, said, well, I'm can well- we, I'm Can welcome.
0: we help persuade her in some way? Uh, yeah. Well, I figure
1: she's she's leaning towards giving me a sleeping bag to put in my Chevy, um, which may be as close <laughs> okay. as I get to an RV for the next 10 years, <laughs> but I am fascinated how you travel with your pets. And I, I know we can't go too in depth on that now, but I did want to ask about that because I saw it on the blog, I think in a picture, and mm-hmm. I just it's so interesting to me. Uh, what's that like?
2: Um, it, it's pretty interesting sometimes,
0: it, it is. They, yeah.
2: uh, so on. On days where we move, we do crate them because mm-hmm. I I always worry about like getting in an accident or something. And then to me, I don't want a cat flying across the bus and and breaking its back or something like that. So <laughs> yep. we do crate you, them.
0: You don't want them getting underfoot while while you're trying to drive that or anything
1: like. Oh yeah, yeah.
2: So we crate them, and and the oldest one, he's eight, was a little resistant at first, but he, he's getting used to it. the The, the younger two were just about two. They adapted right away. So the older one now he uh he he's pretty laid back. He just sleeps in his cage now on moving days. In fact we'll start cleaning up you know packing things away and he'll know and he just goes straight into the cage now <laughs> <laughs> and well, he's like i know it's a moving day
0: yeah we don't even have to put the door on it or, or latch it he's just he's okay let's get this over with
1: yeah. <laughs> well that's but, that's a but, sign of successful crate training yeah there you go so mm-hmm.
2: once we get to wherever we're going though we open up the the cages and they pretty much go straight to the dash so the big picture window in front, mm-hmm. because they want to see what the out, how did the outside change. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's really great seeing because they always seem very comfortable now because this is home. Yep. This RV is their home. It's a rolling home, and they understand that on moving days and every time we stop and let them out, they have different vistas. the The outdoors has changed, as Sarah put it. Uh, we also let them outside sometimes but not to roam free and get you know potentially snagged by a coyote or something um two of them are leash trained uh one more so than the other the younger the younger two will wear uh leashes and, and go on short little walks not of the sort that you get out of a dog but still a walk of sorts
2: they like to go out and sniff Things (laughs) Things <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and just kind of explore, and then uh we also have a cat tent.
0: Awesome.
2: So we'll put we'll put them in the cat tent sometimes. You know, if if the leash is a little too much of a hassle, or we're trying to work outside or something, we'll put them in the cat tent. And and the older one, he, he hates the leash, but he'll go in the cat tent sometimes. He's he's a bit for of brief a home, periods. He he's is, a bit of a homebody.
0: He is a
1: homebody. <laughs>
2: the outside's a little terrifying too
1: <laughs> i would yeah, love could... to see more content about your cats exploring national parks with you personally
0: i oh think my that's goodness. a lot of fun
1: <laughs> yeah that would we haven't gotten them out into the national parks but well the you know the parking not... areas and the camping areas even yeah sure yeah i mean
2: where we're at right now we're outside of great sand dunes national park and uh was i was gonna say Some pictures here would probably be pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) They would be. So
1: one giant litter box. Um, (laughs) It is. Yeah,
0: that's that's one park that is very resilient. Actually, once you get out on the dunes, so uh, I imagine they they might even be open to
1: seeing cats being walked on the dunes. I don't
0: know about that.
1: Well, I'm glad that you're very uh, responsible with the cats while they're out. That's good to hear. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, what's next? So you've you've got two episodes out that people can go and listen to, and we will come around to the how you can listen in a second. What is mm-hmm. the, the, what is the immediate future? We have a third future?
0: releasing today. We were, okay. We were up late finalizing. Well, still have some final production to put finishing touches on it. And then
1: uh, we'll release yeah, episode so number three. That will be up when we air this, Well, when we post it. Mm-hmm
0: it Um, should be and perhaps even a fourth by then we'll be we'll we'll be publishing regularly on mondays is the plan
2: yeah so the next one is a little uh national monument in new mexico called el moro national monument and it's well known for this big sandstone bluff that people would go to while they're going west or or um
0: traveling through for various reasons yeah. it, it preserves a thousand years of history wow.
2: it's got Indian... by way
0: of uh, what they call inscription rock yeah. because people were carving their names uh even indigenous people a thousand years back uh were were leaving uh petroglyphs there but then that that i guess started a tradition so it it preserves many different cultures and histories of people that have passed through there. Yeah, so it's, it's very interesting from a historical perspective. It
2: has Spanish uh, inscriptions. So conquistadors were in that area and they they wrote uh, Paso por aquí, which Paso is por aquí. Yes. I passed by here. And um, And then shortly after, you know, that area became a territory of the United States, you start seeing Anglo-American names on the rock. So it's a pretty interesting place.
1: Definitely. It's very
2: different. Yeah. And then that one after that's El Malpais, which is another small national monument that's really well known for lava flows and lava tubes. That's also in New Mexico. So I don't remember how old the lava flows are. It's been a while.
1: Mm-hmm. Probably, Probably pretty
2: old. Years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, some of it. S-
0: some are newer. Newer on a geological Uh, time
2: (laughs) like
1: last week are we talking or no 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 no
2: no. a few few hundred years ago I think so people were in the area when it was there was lava flow but now there isn't anymore so you talk a bit more geology in that one
1: that's cool and it's uh it's it sounds like such a great combination and I again I love the idea of the park rangers sharing their love of the park where they work. So I'm really looking mm-hmm. forward to hearing more from you guys. And if people want to listen to the show, uh, podcasts with park rangers, where can they go?
2: There's two ways, I guess.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, the the simplest way, since you mentioned the name of the show, which is podcasts with park rangers, both plural, uh, is podcastswithparkrangers.com. Now that will redirect... To our blog site uh, on which we have a sort of landing page for the podcast as well as individual pages for each one as they get published uh, but the the website on which we do a lot of blogging and kind of inspiring people to camp hike and explore in general uh, whether it be national parks or whatever that that website is uh, virtual and that's camper with a K due to our last name being a hyphenated v and k so oh
1: yeah. i didn't catch that clever that's the shtick. <laughs> Probably
2: like why is it spelled weird
1: <laughs> uh and you're also on itunes and stitcher yeah. and are you on spotify yet no not, not on yet. spotify yet all nope. right this
2: week has been apparently it's hard It's a lot of work to launch a podcast.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend trying to launch with three um, heavily produced
2: episodes episodes, Mm -hmm. uh, and trying to do it all last minute
0: (laughs) when you're, yeah, when you're also figuring out the, the, uh, the whole promotional side of things as well as how to get them posted to various (laughs) platforms like, uh, yeah, Spotify, not quite yet but Eventually. that takes that takes an approval process as it I understand.
1: does actually defender yeah. radio i think i well, i'm with libsyn who have an automated system for it and even still okay. it took it was like from me requesting it it took about two weeks i think
0: oh, wow. uh, and okay. that's with okay. like
1: four years worth of shows behind me too oh, right wow. so
2: yeah i was thinking we'd wait till we have a little more content before we put it out yeah. there so
0: yeah before we present it to to spotify uh, iTunes picked it up pretty quickly. We were we were yep. thinking it could take time there, but they snagged is, it just based on the promo four minute teaser that we put up.
1: So. Yeah, iTunes is a uh, the best one to be on because that's where a lot of other podcast feeds pull from. Um, they pull listings right. from iTunes, so that gets uh, okay. on all of the alternative sites. Um, yeah, but, and
0: you mentioned Libsyn. We're using uh, Blueberry.
1: Yeah, so. that's the those are the two big ones. Um, yeah. Better. And that is enough Podcast Nerd Talk. So, episodes weekly, (laughs) Mondays, uh, and thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. Hear more from Sarah and Lucas at podcastwithparkrangers.com or search for Podcasts with Park Rangers on the iTunes store or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. I've already subscribed. That's it for now, folks. Thanks again for listening and remember to support the show through Patreon at patreon.com slash Defender Radio or follow me on Facebook and Twitter at Defender Radio and Instagram at howie michael for updates. Until next time, I'm Michael Howie for Defender Radio reminding you to stay informed and stay strong.